1: News Headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmead.
2: Hi everyone, Brian Kilmead here. Thanks so much for listening all week long. We have a lot to cover today. It's getting real exciting with so much uh, going on in the election as well as, you know what, there's a lot of football too. Uh, I can't wait for this weekend. I can't believe the numbers of people watching at a time in which it's hard to get anybody to watch one thing no matter how big the show is. They're still coming to football, and they're still coming to news, which is great for us. Uh, by the way, you can listen to the show every single day, every single way. You could watch on Fox Nation. You could watch on the Fox News app. You can see and hear live right there. Just click on the headsets. You'll see it on the app. Uh, plus, you get the podcast on your favorite platform. Uh, and this is wherever you get the Brian Me Show, whatever you want to do. Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined by Admiral James Stavridis. And I just interviewed General Jack Keene. I'm going to bring that back. There's so much going on in the world right now. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's
3: Big Three. Number three. Reaction to uh, Netanyahu rejecting a Palestinian state in a post-war scenario for Gaza? I would just
4: tell you that nothing's changed about President Biden's desire that a two-state solution is really in the best
2: interest of not only the Israeli people, but, uh, but of course, the Palestinian people. Nice to say, Admiral Kirby, you don't live there. All eyes on the Middle East. We are attacking the Houthis daily. Israel is crushing Hamas and being pressured to stop. Why, both have to continue with an eye on the cause of it all, and it's Iran.
5: Number
6: two. Like, I've, I've I honestly have never... Spoken to as many people who are concerned about the migrant issue as I have over the past year. Working class people who I interact with every day until this past year really, really, really expressed their frustration.
2: Uh, that is Charlemagne the God. No escaping the effects of Biden's intentional broken border. The city's a rock. Texas takes over its own border. Criminals running rampant as ICE is forced to look the other way. Will the Senate plan fix it all or not at all?
4: Number
3: one. All the polls show Trump with a pretty sizable lead among Republicans. So if Nikki Haley doesn't actually win the New Hampshire primary, that, that is the state that's probably one of the most favorable states for her on this primary map. And if she can't get a win there, that would be a huge Trump victory and would almost finalize Trump's role as the n- nominee going into South Carolina.
2: More than just the first primary, the New Hampshire showdown is shaping up to be a make or break for Nikki Haley. Why? Super Tuesday is two months away. I'll explain as Governor DeSantis holds out. For South Carolina, but is not spending uh, anything that we could say. He's he uh, he said, I'm going all in on Iowa, came in second. And then he said, I can't really do New Hampshire. I'll meet you in South Carolina. That's where he is. He'll go back and forth and he'll do some events. He was willing to debate. But Nikki Haley says, I'm only going to debate Biden or I'm only going to debate Trump. That's it. So he does every town hall and does every interview. But he's talking in a way in which he knows mistakes that he made, almost as if he thinks it's over. Here's Donald Trump last night, a very reflective Donald Trump. He was calm. He was concise. Believe it or not, concise. And he's not talking about the past. Cut three. What happened? You know, we get the most votes of any sitting president in history. And then somebody else takes over and they take a look at what uh, we had versus what they have now. And the difference is so stark. It's so massive. It's so different. The country is a different place. I mean, do you believe what he just said? We got more votes than any sitting president in history, totally true, 74 million, and that somebody else takes over. He didn't say this thing was rigged, this thing was locked up, uh, he cheated and did nothing. That's what people have been trying to say for the longest time. And the question is, does, does Donald Trump have a plan B? We know about his plan A. Got him first time, 74 million votes the second time. Had a, a rip-roar in four years. A lot of things went well, but the attacks never stopped. He made some mistakes, too. Obviously, we all do, but he made some mistakes in the line of fire, maybe caused the impeachment, knowing he had to play the perfect game. He didn't get close, uh, and they used that as an opportunity to impeach, but he still worked his way through it. The pandemic was something we still can't get our head around. So he looks like he is on his way. If he wins in double digits in New Hampshire, you almost got to feel it is over. Nikki Haley, not giving up. Cut six.
7: I think if he thinks I have no chance and I have no hope, then why is he running millions of dollars of ads against me? Do we really want to have two 80 year olds running for president? When we've got a country in disarray and a world on fire, I know that we've had some independents come our way. And yes, we've had some Democrats say they want to support us because they're not happy with Joe Biden.
2: There is, but they had to have registered in October to switch parties. And Joe Biden has totally abandoned New Hampshire, so they may have. They think there's about 4,000. Overall, undeclared in New Hampshire, 340,000. Pretty extraordinary considering the population's 1.4 million. With the last Suffolk poll, Two Suffolk polls ago, it was a seven-point deficit. This Suffolk poll has Trump up 14. If he wins by 14, I'm not sure what happens in South Carolina. I mean, Trump won by 10 over Rubio in 2016. But since that time, he's gotten the sitting governor. He's extremely popular. He's gained popularity in South Carolina, a very military time. So I don't think Nikki Haley wins there. And then you wonder if it continues. I know she's got a ton of money. But I also look at what uh, Ken Langone said, one of the richest men in America, co-founder of Home Depot, 88 years old. He said, I, I think she's my pick, but I'm not going to throw money uh, down a rabbit hole. Uh, I'm not going to burn it. If she doesn't win in, in New Hampshire, I'm not going to donate uh, to her campaign. So kind of interesting. So here's Governor DeSantis yesterday. So listen, I still think he's a great candidate, unbelievable governor. I don't think he has, I don't think he has a problem with the way he campaigns. That's just his style. You know, uh, I don't have a problem. People might think Nikki Haley talks too fast. They think that Donald Trump repeats himself. You can always find something. But Governor Ron DeSantis says he is, uh, he regrets, he did a few, he made a uh, a couple of mistakes. Cut 11.
1: I spent a lot of time on the ground in Iowa. And and it's good. And when you meet people, you convert them. But there's just so many voters out there that you got to do. And I came in uh, not really doing as much media.
3: I should have just been blanketing. I should have gone on all the corporate shows. I should have gone on everything. I started doing that as we got into the end of the summer, um, and we did it. But we had an opportunity, I think, to come out of the gate and do that and reach a much broader folks. Now
1: I'm everywhere.
2: He is, and he's doing every town hall possible. And he does. You know, it's always great to admit mistakes. Uh, You know, that's a tactic. That's why you hire experienced people. Um, you know, he, he was kind of walking through the fire, 60 minutes and all his critics, and he was always successful. So he should not, his handler should have known that. But having said that, I think it's more the attack ads on him, about $40 million worth, maybe $50 million worth of attack ads. And most of it came from Donald Trump. And they went after him, and they were smart. That's a tactic Trump uses. This guy's going to be a problem. This, I'm going to run the disloyalty thing. I'm going to say that, you know, he's trying to be taller, and then I'm just going to attack him. Uh, and, and that's what happened. And then when he finally declared, he was being attacked pretty uh, consistently. We'll see. I don't know if anyone could beat Donald Trump, even though it's technically not over. I, I, my interview with General Jack Keene is so important. Uh, the Middle East is on fire. He puts it in a perspective. Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
7: Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was detained at an airport in Munich, Germany the other day for more than two hours. Why? Because he failed to declare a watch, reportedly valued it more than $20,000 upon his arrival. Has this ever happened to you? I've gone to an airport and they say, do you have anything to declare? And I always say, no, I don't. And most of the time, I, I really don't. So has this ever happened to you?
8: Oh, it happens all the time. You've, you just got to learn a lie. And say um first of all, you spend when you go to a foreign country, you have to spend the whole night before peeling off the Cuban cigar labels. And then when the guy looks you in the eye and says, uh, "Charles, are these Cubans?" No, they're not. <laughs> they're not Cuban. And then if you got a nice watch, no, I already had that watch. You have but, to lie. But what, or 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 you or could what? or you could just declare it. No, you're going to pay taxes on it then. Okay. No, you're going to pay taxes on it. Trust, we pay enough taxes, Gail.
9: <laughs> so you're encouraging people to lie.
8: They do it all the time.
2: So that's a little of the exchange. Uh, Charles Barkley being Charles Barkley, and that's with Gail King on another channel. But it's true. I don't do a lot of international travel, but I didn't even understand the Schwarzenegger story. So he had a $10,000 watch. And he didn't declare it, and that's why they detained him? Were they trying to shake him down? Did they not
0: know who he was in Munich? Well, apparently it was like a $20,000 watch. 20000 Um The reports he was possibly going to auction off, but you're supposed to declare that stuff, and you don't. But I guess no one ever does, but
9: technically you're lying about it because you're supposed to take whatever. But only if Texas. you bought
2: it there, correct?
9: Yes, I believe
2: so. Eric, do you know? Do you do a lot of uh, traveling? <laughs> no. I do not. You do not? Okay. Because I I, I would never think to do that. I I mean, I went to Europe uh, for the first time in a long time over the I never thought about it, but I only have an Apple Watch. But Schwarzenegger got detained. He got a ton of publicity. I'm sure more people are going to buy his book. Do you know I've been trying to get Schwarzenegger? And they've been telling me, oh, you're going to get him. He wants to do it. And probably five of the last seven weeks, yeah, he's going to do it. Maybe tell him you have a really nice watch that
0: he might be interested in.
2: Right. I mean, obviously. (laughs) The other thing would be, you know, he's best friends with Jake. Steinfeld, Jake Steinfeld was just on this week. He was. So, uh, you know, he, him and Jake came in bodybuilding, but uh, Arnold did steroids and Jake would not. So he did natural. There's no money in natural bodybuilding in the 70s when it was really hot. Uh, and he also, then he went into celebrity training, but they stayed friends and he had up the fitness council. So I had to, now I asked this what I did. I said, Jake, can you do me a favor? Will you tell Arnold that I'm looking to interview him? So he goes, yeah, I'm get, I'll i get on that. So hopefully that'll break. Because remember, Arnold came and did our show all the time. No, he
0: remember he surprised us in studio? He did. But wait, so then Jake hasn't gotten back to you yet, because he's a man of action. Like, I feel like he should yeah, have I mean,
2: it was yet. Yeah, I mean, it was yesterday, yeah. and I told him, and, you know, he's somebody very persistent. So if he says, I'm coming on the 18th, he writes me on the 9th, he writes me the next day, writes me the next day. So I should be probably the same way to him. Don't you think?
0: I would agree. I think right. it's time to text Jake during the next break and say, when's Arnold coming on?
2: Okay. Meanwhile, uh, earlier today, I have another job in the morning, Fox and Friends. One of my favorite segments all week long, every week, is my 7.15 a.m. interview with Jack Keane. It opens up with the president uh, finally taking some questions about the Houthi rebels bombing. Listen.
9: Are they- you say working,
7: are they stopping the Houthis? No. Are
2: they going to continue? Yes. Okay. Here to react, Fox News senior strategic analyst, retired four star General Jack Keene. General, we've been speaking that we had uh, for the last few weeks. You've got to answer the Houthi rebels. We are. Why don't, you think, uh, why don't you think they've been effective in clearing out the Red Sea and stopping the attacks?
8: Well, because the Houthi rebels have thousands of rockets and missiles and hundreds of launchers, uh, and they've been at this uh, for years in terms of uh, fighting Saudi Arabia and initially uh, UAE as well. So they're very practiced at war, uh, and they're very skilled at what they're doing, and they have significant depth. Much as Iran has supplied Hamas with all the components to make thousands and thousands of rockets and missiles and have provided the Hezbollah with over 130,000 rockets and missiles, the Houthis have tens of thousands. So that's the reality we're facing. What we have to do is what the president is suggesting, and I agree with him. Let's keep it up. Let's sustain it. This is a finite number of rockets and missiles for sure, and a finite number of launchers. So step one is to continue the attacks that we're doing to take the capability away. Step two, and we're obviously doing this and we have to be aggressive about it, is disrupt the flow of the replacement rockets, missiles and other supplies from Iran to Yemen. All of that is going by sea, and we've got to intercept it, and we were doing that. And sadly, it looks like we may have lost a couple of seals in, in doing that very same thing. We've got to be aggressive about it. And the third thing, Brian, and we've talked about this, the center of gravity behind all of this is Iran, and we have to hold them accountable, and we're not doing that. Maximum sanctions, step one take the money away from them that they've been able to receive as a result of this administration pulling back from the Trump sanctions. But then, number two, the IRGC are the suppliers of the rockets, the missiles. They provide all the training and support for the Houthis, go after their training centers, their bases, their headquarters, and their leaders. That is the third step that must be taken, and that is where the administration is reluctant to step in and do that.
2: Can we uh, switch over to Israel and, and action in Gaza right now? We understand yesterday in an interview, uh, Netanyahu rejected U.S. calls to scale back the military effort, uh, and they said they accused the U.S. of trying to coerce Israel into a situation would endanger their country. Uh, how bad is the friction between the countries, and how is it affecting operations in Gaza?
8: Well, I think there's been, the tension has been rising over time. Uh, This is a very comprehensive and complicated operation that the IDF has been involved in. It's going to take months to be able to do what they're seeking to do, is dismantle the entire Hamas network uh, and get the leaders and destroy their entire military infrastructure. That requires systematic, deliberate clearing operations. The administration has been pushing uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu to pull back from those kind of clearing operations and just focus on the leaders. That will not get, get the IDF and the prime minister the results he wants. And what would happen as a result of that, the leaders will stay in place, the infrastructure will survive, thousands of fighters will survive also, Brian, and Hamas will declare victory and they'll attack again. So that's, that's where the tension point is. I think we should get out of the way and let the prime minister, his war cabinet, set the strategy and let the IDF execute it and continue to support them.
2: I was I'm just stunned by the sophistication of those tunnels, the underground networks that exist. I think it even surprised the Israelis how much weaponry was there and how deep these tunnels go uh it's been fascinating because they're debriefing a lot of the captured hamas fighters uh general always great thanks so much the world's on uh the world's on edge and there's nobody uh, better to talk to about it appreciate
8: it yeah have a great weekend you too
2: yeah i mean uh, i i could have talked to the general for four more hours and not covered all the hotspots. Think about this. We're hitting the Houthi rebels. We did not have great intelligence. We already talked the Saudis into not bombing them back. So they cut some type of deal with these these tribesmen. I mean, did you see these guys? They got weapons, but they look like a a ragtag group of knockoff uh, um, crips and bloods. I mean, they are just they're thugs. So they're they're rocketing us. They basically shut down the Red Sea. That's why you should care. Everything that you have is going to start going up again. That's why President Biden should care. Because if he has inflation going up and prices going up and shipping's going up, we pay the price as a consumer. He's not getting reelected for sure. Now, we have a coordination. A coordination with China, we have a coordination with Russia, we have a coordination with North Korea, and we have a coordination with Iran. And then ragtag groups uh, like the Houthis, more sophisticated group like Hezbollah and Hamas. And then when the Russians go after the Ukrainians, the Ukrainians are fighting the Russians. That's why you back the Ukrainians. And North Korea and South Korea, North Korea building a ton of nukes, adding the technology— Uh, from the Russians that they were not doing before. In exchange, they give the Russians artillery where they're bombing the Ukrainians. Do you see how it's all connected? Iran keeps us occupied by creating havoc in the area and maybe, possibly in a grand scheme, supporting and maybe conducting those horrific attacks on October 7th. So it distracted it back in the region. And who knows when China's going to make the move on Taiwan, especially, guys, if it looks as though... Joe Biden's about to lose his election. And Pakistan, by the way, rocketed back at Iran for rocketing at them after that explosion. Uh, on the anniversary of Soleimani's, Soleimani's, uh, uh assassination. So things are uh, the utter definition of near boiling point, exploding point. A lot going on. All right. So thanks so much for listening on this Friday and by listening to us all day, uh, all week long. Uh, I appreciate it. We have a lot more to come. Including in about fifteen minutes, we'll take your calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Reaction to uh, Netanyahu rejecting
10: a Palestinian state in a post-war scenario for Gaza.
4: I would just tell you that nothing's changed about President Biden's desire that a, a two-state solution is really in the best interest of not only the Israeli people but, uh, but of course the Palestinian people. In fact, it's the best interest of the region, and we're not going to stop working towards that goal. Now, this is this is not a new comment by Prime Minister Netanyahu. We obviously see it differently.
2: Yeah, they see it a lot differently. On Thursday, there was a major speech by the prime minister where he basically told America, stop telling us how to run this war. And he doesn't want a Palestinian state in Gaza. I have not heard, it's the most complicated question, maybe in the world, but I have not heard a scenario that if I'm an Israeli that I feel good about that allows the Palestinian Authority to take over the ga- Gaza. I Really, Mahmoud Abbas? He's got 15% approval rating in the West Bank. He's going to bring some of that momentum to Gaza? Admiral James Stavridis joins us now. He knows all of the, all about difficult questions. He writes about it. Uh, he's got a, a book, Risk It All All Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of De- uh, Decision. Uh, he wrote that book. He also got a new book coming out. Uh, the book that a lot of people are talking about is 2034, a novel of the next world war, which basically looks like he uh, had a meeting with Nostradamus. Uh, Admiral, welcome back. <laughs>
11: Great to be back, Brian. Good, good intro. Thank you. Yeah,
2: so, Admiral, uh, I mean, I'm going to give you the most complicated question right now in the world. What is, does happen when the when the military operation ceases in Gaza?
11: Yeah, I can answer that with three words, Brian. I don't know, and neither does anybody else, uh, including Nostradamus. Um, but I'll give you uh, a couple scenarios. Uh, One you alluded to that I think is dead on arrival, and that is the Palestinian authority. They don't have the competence, the moral standing, the international standing. Another one more realistic, I think, would be for the Arab League. This is the group of Arab nations, Saudi Arabia, the Gulf states, Egypt, Jordan, etc. There's a lot of capability there. You could turn it over to them in a joint Arab League Israeli operation, that's very hard optically for the Arabs to agree with. Uh, You could also, third possibility, you could set up a United Nations peacekeeping force. A lot of people have visceral negative reaction to the uh, United Nations with good reason, but they've done reasonably good work, for example, in Haiti, in the Balkans, and in other places. So. There's three possibilities, but we are nowhere yet on getting that done realistically. And I wanna close with this, Brian, you made the right point. It has to be a solution that allows the Israelis to be safe, that their nurseries won't be stormed into, that their women will not be raped and dragged away by their hair as hostages. Um, That's gonna require, I think, a significant Israeli presence certainly surrounded Gaza, but probably integrated with the security forces inside it.
2: Yeah, I just don't know also if Netanyahu is losing his patience, too, and how you feel about it with uh, basically Jake Sullivan and others telling him how to run the war and tell him when to stop, and President Biden evidently in December hung up on each other. He hung up on Netanyahu when he was trying to say you got to scale back, and basically Netanyahu said no. So a lot of this stuff is not being walked back or being told where it's overblown, but we are supplying a lot of the arms. So we do have a say in this, but I, I personally side with Netanyahu, let him finish the job. And the network of
11: tunnels is even more concerning than they thought going in. hundred percent. Correct. Um, just to put it in numbers, people can comprehend the Gaza strip is about 20 miles North South and it's about five miles or so east-west. There are, wait for it, not 200 miles of tunnels. That's what we thought three months ago. Apparently there are 400 miles of tunnels. So I think job one militarily, the center of gravity here for the Israelis, is to decommission those tunnels, to flood them, to explode them, to collapse them. That's where all of this planning occurred. That's where the training happened. That's where Iran sent the weapon systems that were used. That's where the command and control is located, all of that, that's got to finish. And I think Netanyahu is doing that. And frankly, despite his uh, public utterances, I think it is significant that Israel is dialing back and, and it makes sense militarily. I'll leave the politics to others, Brian. But militarily, if I were running that campaign, I would be dialing back, not only because of the public optics and all of that, but also because I'm getting more worried about my northern border and Hezbollah. So I don't want to have all my eggs in that basket in Gaza. I think for those two reasons, you're seeing the Israelis kind of dial it back. Hopefully they will continue to prosecute this war. I think they will.
2: Yeah, it's just, uh, I I guess, what what success do you think they've had in in wiping out Hamas fighters?
11: I think they've taken out probably a third of Hamas's uh, foot soldiers. I think they've taken out, by my count, and I've got a chart where I kind of track all this, I think they've taken out about 20 percent of Hamas leadership, leadership defined as Uh, somebody who is controlling a significant element of that organization. Those are pretty good numbers uh, two months into urban conflict. If I put all that together, I think we've got another two months of very tough fighting. That'll take Hamas's foot soldiers down to, um, I don't want to say negligible, but they'll have dispersed back into the population. They won't be a fighting force anymore. And they will also get. They, the Israelis, will also get a significantly additional number of the leadership. Look for about another two months of very tough fighting in Gaza.
2: All right. So we're dealing with the Red Sea and the Houthis' attack on us and All our right. assets. Uh, so why don't you hear? President Biden was asked about how it's going. The audio is not great, but I think you you can hear it uh, well enough to understand what he what the question is and the answer. Cut thirty two. Are the
9: airstrikes in Yemen working? Oh. <clears throat>
2: you say working are they stopping the Houthis? no are they going to continue yes all right having said that how would you <laughs> thanks uh, yeah i appreciate that,
11: that, it that that's obviously just a terrible soundbite for the president and uh, here's what the president meant to say in the judgment of uh, admiral stavridis what what he should have said was thus far the strikes have not created deterrence in the minds of the Houthis. However, we have destroyed about 25% of their infrastructure. We're going to continue going until it is all destroyed, if necessary, but we'd prefer to stop and then to be deterred. Thus far, that hasn't happened. You know, that's a logical, coherent uh, explanation of what's happening. That would have been a, a better answer for the president, in my view. Huh.
2: I think in my view, too. Uh, but as it happens when you work the rope line you're not going back and forth. But now, let me exactly. ask you, how is our intelligence on the Houthis and their assets prior to them targeting ships in the Red Sea?
11: Pretty good, um, mainly because uh, two of our strong allies in the region, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, have been <clears throat> pounding away at the Houthis for close to five years. What has happened since the Houthis started attacking uh, American warships and commercial shipping is that the unblinking eye, if you will, of U.S. intelligence is now focused on that Red Sea border. And I think our intelligence is quite good at this point. Uh, We can go in and do what we need to do. Uh, I think the Houthis may bluster and they may launch a few more missiles. Uh, But if we just continue to methodically destroy their radars, their fuel, uh, their docks, their missile sites, their ammunition storage, we know where all that is. Uh, If we just continue to pound that away, they can bluster all they want, but they can't do much.
2: How fascinating is it that Soleimani, they were marking four years since his, uh, his death, and then there's an explosion. Israel had nothing to do with it. So now Iran just starts to tar- target Pakistan, and <laughs> uh, and Pakistan hits Iran back. Uh, what do we do, just look up in the sky and just watch this? Are we hoping they both lose? <clears throat> uh,
11: I think in in this one, uh, both sides are demonstrating they don't have a lot of options. They don't uh, get along very well, shall we say. Um, the reason they have struck across each other's borders uh, not to go after the opposite government, but to go after rebels uh, to each side that are across that border, I don't think you're going to see a lot more uh, between them. But here's what we ought to be concerned about. You know this, Brian, not everyone does. Pakistan is a well-armed nuclear state uh, (laughs) with, uh, shall we say, a uh, a government that is in turmoil a great deal of the time. Uh, We really don't want to see nuclear power on one side uh, come into this. Let, um, we don't have a role in it, but frankly, um, I'm for it in the sense that anything that distracts the mullahs from what they're trying to do with the Houthis and Hamas and Hezbollah, that's a good thing for the region overall.
2: Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, we'll see. Are you concerned about this new alliance between North Korea and Russia? Nor- Russia oh. so reportedly is giving high-tech uh, intelligence to uh, high-tech information and technology uh, on their nuclear program in exchange for <laughs> artillery?
11: 100 percent concerning. And, and here's why. Um, you know, it's like that old movie Jerry Maguire, you know, you complete me. Uh, They kind of complete each other and that Putin is running out of conventional uh, dumb bombs, artillery pieces, uh, the equivalent of 155 millimeter shells, ammunition, crew served weapons. That's the junk that he needs. Uh, Pyongyang, North Korea, has tons of that. They've been doing nothing but building it for 50 years. On the other hand, what North Korea needs, exactly as you said, you mentioned nuclear power, nuclear weapons, missile technology. One thing you didn't mention is space and satellite technology. That's what's flowing in the other direction. It is a, a pair of scorpions and a bottle. These are two pariah nations. Uh, they are going to help each other, and that is not good for the international system. It isn't
2: the, the Ukraine war. Um, how how bad do they need weapons at this point? Are they, are they at the point of desperation, Ukrainians?
11: Not quite desperation, but deep worry. And, and here, of course, the the scene of the battle effectively is shifting from Kiev and Moscow. You know this, Brian. It's in Washington D.C., and I am um, urging our congressional leaders to put aside partisan advantage and don't be thinking about um, who will look better and how the fall election comes out. Ukrainians are fighting and dying now, and we ought to continue to support them, as you and I have discussed many, many times. This is not a huge amount of money. And by the way, I'm all for tying it to border security. These are two national security concerns alongside Israel and Taiwan. This is really a chance for Congress to step up, uh, override the small minority who oppose this. And there are many powerful Republicans and powerful Democrats who could stand in unity on this. Boy, let's hope so. The right decision is to provide that funding both for border security and for Ukraine.
2: If we allow Kyiv to fall, the Republicans well, will be more responsible than Democrats Uh, And there's some might, like when you talk about the way we fight, the slow walking of weapons, the giving weapon systems late, all that stuff is true. That'll be just as bad as Kabul falling and maybe more consequential.
11: That is absolutely correct. And and I think, let's face it, Afghanistan is a a small, backward, poverty-stricken nation, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Ukraine is a huge country full of corn, wheat, oil, natural gas. It's a cornucopia of resources. It's parked right on the edge of the European Union. If we allow Ukraine to fall under the boot of Russia, we ought to become very concerned about Putin's next move. We ought to be smart enough to nip this one in the bud.
2: The next one will be, a, will, will be a, well, Moldova is not, but I'm sure uh, the next one will be a NATO nation. Then we're going to have to really make a decision. Uh, thanks so much, Admiral. Appreciate it. And hopefully they wise up in Congress and give the Ukrainians what they need to win.
11: You bet. Let's, uh, from your lips to God's ears. Okay, Brian, we'll talk next week.
2: And talk I look soon. forward to your book, March 12th, uh, 2054, a novel. Uh, thanks so much, Admiral. See you soon. Uh, back with your calls in a moment. you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show
1: diving deep into today's top stories it's brian kilmeade a radio show like no other it's brian kilmeade
9: I'm
10: here
5: to tell you that the Western world is in danger,
1: and
10: it is in because those who are
9: supposed to have to defend the values of the West are co-opted by a vision of the world that
5: inexorably leads to socialism and thereby to poverty. So how fascinating
2: is this? This Argentinian president, who seems to be a version of President Trump, and he's a fan of President Trump, Javier Milou, uh was speaking at the World Economic Forum and saying things that they're not really in support of. They're all about green technology and sharing the wealth and developing nations. And he says, we've got to get back to capitalist principles and think about our country and our people first. Uh, this very much sounds like President Trump, and I think he's going to be an ally of it. Also, on the same note... I was reading about, I can't give you the latest on French politics, never could, not that interested. But we know Macron's been around forever and came up as a radical, transformational, uh, non-traditional you know non party candidate, and then won. Then he won again. Well, now he's talking about just being more conservative, going back to French values, back to uh, France first, and thinking about uh, cracking down on citizenship, uh, illegal aliens. And do you know what the British are doing? They're taking illegal immigrants and shipping them to Rwanda. So, for those people who think that cracking down on, the, uh, on your border is something that you shouldn't do and it's barbaric and uh, with it goes against what's on our Statue of Liberty, number one, I think you're 100% wrong. I believe you're changing. So are the other countries changing. They're protecting their border. Talk about immigration. Here's Charlemagne, the god. Big liberal, disappointed in Biden, not a fan of Trump, but listen to this. Cut twenty one.
6: Like I, I, I honestly have never spoken to as many people who are concerned about the migrant issue as I have, you know, over over the past year. They took two thousand migrants and and, and put them in the school and made the school stay home, made the the students stay home and, and 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 uh, you know, do school via 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 Zoom, and that was a big issue. I've never seen you know, working class people who I interact with every day until this past year really, really, really expressed their frustration.
2: You see how hot this issue is? They did a survey in Iowa and they said, what was your number one issue? And it wasn't even the economy. It was immigration first. And yet you have Democrats tone deaf, like Max Frost, cut 22.
3: Don't welcome immigrants if you plan to reject them. If you keep pushing your bigoted H.R. 2 bill, then also pass this bill. I've taken the liberty of drafting it for you. It removes the Statue of Liberty, our largest symbol that tells people to come here.
2: You believe this? He actually equates millions of illegal immigrants storming our border, giving the stiff arm to our system to people who came here the right way through Ellis Island from a gift after the Civil War from France. With that, okay, Max Frost, best of luck in Florida. Good luck winning re-election. Keep it here. Don't forget, BrianKilmead.com. A chance to order Teddy and Booker T and get it signed, personalized.
1: From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Yes. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here from uh, 48th and 6 I'm so glad you are listening. We come to you from New York for her around the country. Uh, Jared Crenshaw, Renshaw, standing by, White House reporter for Reuters. His fascinating look at one of the topics i like to talk about this, this big push uh, to stop a third party, like no labels, from getting on every ballot, like RFK, from getting on every state ballot uh, and to stop them. Why? Because it's generally thought that it would hurt Joe Biden more than any Republican candidate, let alone Donald Trump. Bottom of the hour, Julie Banderas states for the whole half hour. That'll be great. Uh, so we're going to talk to him in a moment, but let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
3: Reaction to uh, Netanyahu rejecting a Palestinian state in a post-war scenario for Gaza?
4: I would just tell you that nothing's changed about President Biden's desire, that uh, a two-state solution is really in the best interest of not only the Israeli people, but, uh, but of course, the Palestinian people.
2: Yeah, uh, but it's not going to happen. All eyes on the Middle East as we are attacking the Houthis daily. Israel is crushing Hamas and being pressured by us to stop. Why well, both have to continue with an eye on the cause of it all, and that is Iran.
5: Number
6: two. Like, I, I've, I've, I honestly have never spoken to as many people who are concerned about the migrant issue as i have over the past year working class people who i interact with every day until this past year really 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 express their frustration
2: man, the god weighing in no escaping the effects of biden's intentional broken border cities are rocked texas takes over their own border security and criminals running rampant as ice is forced to look the other way will the senate plan fix it at all or not at all
4: Number
3: one. All the polls show Trump with a pretty sizable lead among Republicans. So if Nikki Haley doesn't actually win the New Hampshire primary, that, that is the state that's probably one of the most favorable states for her on this primary map. And if she can't get a win there, that would be a huge Trump victory and would almost finalize Trump's role as the n- nominee going into South Carolina.
2: More than just the first primary, the New Hampshire showdown is shaping up to be a make or break for Nikki Haley. Why? Super Tuesday is two months away. And yet it will be over in New Hampshire? I'll explain as DeSantis holds on while not spending any money on ads. Uh, Let's talk about the election from a different perspective now. Let's bring in Jarrett Renshaw, the White House reporter uh, for Reuters. Jarrett, welcome.
10: Hey, well, thank you so much. Happy to be here.
2: Uh, Well, I know Joe Lieberman, who's co-founder of No Labels, uh, spoke yesterday just to complain and said they're filing an official complaint. How hard are Democrats working behind the scenes to stop No Labels?
10: I would say uh, very hard. You know, they view this as um any vote for no labels is a vote away from a potential vote away from Joe Biden. They see Trump's base as extremely loyal. He may have a lower ceiling, but you know, there's 30, 40% are going to stick with him no matter what. And you know, the Biden's enthusiasm gap, um they could certainly divide the moderate base of the Democratic Party and and really kind of hand the, hand the election to Trump is the, the way the theory goes.
1: Right, uh, and they, they
2: really are going after him hard. Here's uh, the allegation from Dan Webb. He's asking the DOJ to investigate. Listen. We have set forth substantial evidence and alleged that based on that evidence, there is a group of activists and operatives and party officials uh, who have
11: participated in alleged illegal conspiracy. To use intimidation, harassment, and fear against representatives
2: of no labels, its donors, and its potential candidates. So they're asking Joe Biden's Department of Justice.
10: They are. Um, you know, they filed an eight-page complaint out uh, detailing a bunch of allegations. You know, largely it's been a, a persuasion campaign, telling donors not to not to send money to these uh, third-party bids trying to uh, tell candidates to stay away from them. And then I think most importantly, um, keeping them off state ballots. State ballots are incredibly hard to get on, um, and they're technical, and you make one flaw, you find yourself in court. And so they've hired some big gun election lawyers to kind of, I think the quote in our story was uh, dot every I, cross every T.
2: Mark Elias is working this for Democrats. This guy's at the the – at the helm of all controversial Democratic projects, including the Russia hoax.
10: Yeah, the American Bridge, the the largest Democratic opposition uh, research firm, has hired Mark Elias. And, uh, you know, they're going to try to create headaches for these third parties as they try to get on uh, state ballots. And there's already enough headaches for these folks already. Uh, California, New York has high signature requirements and short-time windows, You have to get electors lined up. Sometimes you have to name your vice president. Every state's different, and every state comes with its own kind of potential pitfall where you could find yourself in court defending yourself. And I I expect um, a lot of lawsuits.
2: So, like, for example, you point out in California, to qualify, uh, an organization must collect 75,000 signatures from residents who are willing to switch parties or register for the first time. An independent candidate must collect 219,000 signatures, the most of any state over a 105-day stretch that starts in April so yeah
10: that, that that's an enormous challenge if you look at the the minor party the seventy five thousand i mean you have to get people to sit willing to essentially register for a new party, a party that they're unfamiliar with, and seventy five thousand those in a short time window that's challenging if you look at the independent candidate, two hundred whatever that number was it's it's a large number um and you have to hire people to go and collect signatures often as you as you could imagine you know people who think they're registered voters are not. So they get tossed. So it's not just that number. You probably, I think, the number is 25% to 50% more because of all the the uh, all the signatures that are going to get tossed legitimately because they're not registered voters. Um, New York, you have to do something like uh, I think it's like 65,000 in a five-week window. You have to get 50% of uh, in, in uh, of all the congressional districts at some signatures in, in all those districts. So it is it is a hard hill to climb. And then once you climb it. Here come potential legal challenges saying, well, this person said they lived in Manhattan, not New York City. Well, Manhattan's not really an official uh, city, so therefore they get tossed. Um, So there's going to be a lot of that. I think the third parties understand it's coming. They have money. Um, You know, they have raised money. and I I think these are the most well-organized, well-funded third-party bids probably in modern political history. Um, So they'll have money to fight it. Um, So I I do think that's an underreported story in terms of just the parties and success that they may have.
2: No, Jared, you're right. I mean, I'm looking at you have Arizona, 43,000 signatures to qualify. Uh, You got to do that in 90 days. uh, A minor party requires fewer signatures, but they must be submitted the whole year prior to the election. So that's why RFK is on one ballot, Utah, right?
10: Yes, he's on Utah. And I think he's in Six other states. Um, he's going to have he's going to have a challenge getting them. He has a super PAC that is uh, helping his efforts. That there there's going to be some legal questions of whether a super PAC can actually help a candidate. They're not supposed to coordinate. So how he's getting them? The super PAC is going to get them on the ballot. Of course, that looks like coordination. That is going to probably be litigated. Um, so yeah, I think that you know, not only do you have to successfully get these, you're gonna to have to have a legal strategy to to to, mm. to handle all the incoming um that they will inevitably see.
2: Jared, why did how did Russ Perot pull it off?
10: It's a good question. Uh he had you know he got on all fifty ballots. Um he had money. You know, it really does take resources. You talk to folks on the ground, um people that have tried to run third party uh campaigns and they you know they talk about paying workers who only get eight signatures, and it's hard to you know, to verify whether how hard they're working. If you have money to burn, which Ross Pro did, it makes life easier on that front. So I I, I think that that explains it. But you, you look at Ralph Nader, another person who's often often cited as if he didn't get on all fifty ballots in either two thousand or two thousand four. Um, so yeah, it, it's a challenge. Um, so you know you need money. The bottom line, like in most things in life, you need mm-hmm. money. If you have money, you can do it.
2: Right, I, and I guess No Labels has money, but they're frustrated enough to say we need a lawsuit. So the, Joe, Joe Manchin told me on Friday uh, – excuse me, was it on – it was on Tuesday, excuse me. Uh, he said if I get on 34 states right after Super Tuesday, if they get on 34 ballots, uh, my sense is he's he's in. But right now they're only on how many, seven No Labels?
10: Uh, they're on 14, I oh, think. 14. 13 or 14, and they're in – Thirteen or fourteen other states—I forget which. It's one or the other. But they're they're in twenty-seven states altogether. With I think they're on the ballot in fourteen of those. Um, so the problem they have is an odd one, right? So a lot of a lot of states require you to name your presidential candidate before you can get on the ballot. They don't have a candidate. So there's a there's a number of states that they they have to have a president and a vice president named. I don't know what that number is, but it's a significant number. So they they can't even. Start collecting signatures in, in a large group of states until they actually have a candidate. Um,
2: well, why should they be held to a different standard than the major parties?
10: That's a question. I mean, the, the major parties, you know, they control the state legislatures, they make the rules, uh, they, they dictate the rules of the game. And I think there's a fair rule that if you've shown some electoral success, I mean, you've, you have a history of getting votes <laughs> during major elections, you automatically qualify, and uh, so I, that strikes me as a, a fair way to do it. You know, I think it's debatable whether you have these very restrictive policies to keep them off. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're already if you already demonstrated some success, I think it's fair mm-hmm. that you get back on. And that, that's a system that's a system we inherited. I, I do think it's important to note that you you look across the world, a lot of a lot of other countries, a lot of. Major democracies have a, a much different style where they welcome third parties, um, coalition style governments that, you know, where you have a coalition right. that's a, that, that cobbles together 15 minor parties and forms mm-hmm. a coalition. Um, we don't have that.
2: So Dean Phillips is running for the Democratic nomination, been frustrated every pass. It's hardly a Democratic may the best man win approach. Listen to his frustration.
3: This is not just not supporting competition. This is literally actively trying to suppress it. I'll give you three examples. The state of North Carolina and the state of Florida. The Democratic Party in each state decided there would only be one candidate on the ballot, and therefore we will not have a presidential primary. Essentially, disenfranchising. On on what grounds? None. In fact, I'll give you another example. North Carolina, 2020, 15 Democrats on the ballot. The only qualifier to be on the North Carolina ballot in their law is to be recognized in the national media as a candidate for president. And Marianne Williamson was on the ballot in 2020, along with 14 other Democrats. This year, the North Carolina Democratic Party only offered the name of Joe Biden to be on the ballot to the secretary of state.
2: So you interviewed him. Uh, obviously, he's a he's a self-made multimillionaire, if not a billionaire. Uh he voted with Biden ninety five percent of the time, but he thinks he's too old and's likely to lose and You can hear his frustration. Does that sound fair to you?
10: Certainly not fair. He doesn't think it's fair um you know the the d n c has has made it nearly impossible, I'm not when say impossible. very challenging for Dean Phillips to have any real success um you know New Hampshire, who knows what that looks like, even if dean Hamsh- Dean Phillips was able to pull off some surprise, maybe not win, get close. The next state is South Carolina. He has no chance in South Carolina. Um Biden's gonna spend all of his time there. He's he's got a good base. Uh the, the large majority of the majority of uh, Democratic voters in South Carolina are black. Um so, you know, Dean Phillips is so what does he he doesn't know anywhere to go after that? And then as you stated in those those clips, there's 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 some states where he can't even get there is there is no contest. Um so, yeah, I mean, I, he, he has a point to be made, uh, you know, and that, that is his major point, just, you know, that, 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 that America is starving or Democratic Party is unhappy with its candidate. And the polls show his, the candidate is likely to lose at this point, And he believes by shutting down competition, you're really uh, essentially handing the election to Donald Trump. That is his central argument.
2: Right. And he, I, I see in your article, he said that when Trump was elected, his daughters were crying and I promised I would do something about it and I'm going to do it. And he thinks that Biden's going to lose this time. I'll tell you what. Uh, if you just look at the Democratic Party, what they've done to each other. I mean, Hillary Clinton got the questions from Donna Brazil before a debate with Bernie Sanders. Debbie Wasserman Schultz working behind the scenes to hurt Bernie Sanders. Joe Biden picked out of obscurity by Jim Clyburn after it looked as though Bernie Sanders was going to come away with the nomination, perhaps. So they just basically place him there uh, to get the nomination instead of just watching the delegates go back and forth like Hillary Clinton, Obama did. So little by little, they're rigging their own game.
10: Well, certainly, you know, the argument that the the Biden and the DNC has made for moving South Carolina to the front of the line, there's no coincidence that it also is Biden's probably one of his strongest states. And um you know the argument was that uh, south carolina is more diverse it is certainly more diverse than new hampshire and ohio um certainly black voters are a, a an important part of the democratic coalition um but it's also true that any real competition would have to go through south carolina first um and that was not a mistake so um you know, you can certainly see it through both lens, and you know, uh, to the victor go the spoils, I guess is, is one way to look at it. Um, he runs the DNC and uh, and uh, they get to set up the, the way this works, and they set it up in a way that best advantages the incumbent. There's just no way, other way to see it.
2: Wow, uh, there's a lot going on here behind the scenes that has nothing to do with Republicans. It's just a lot of drama, uh, and they, I didn't hear no labels. Did they call out the Republican Party too?
10: No, they, they expect um, uh, whose name escapes me, the North Carolina former North Carolina governor, um, and I've talked to other Republicans. So, you know, the, the general thought is that Republicans right now are, are, you know, obviously in a primary; they're not organized behind one candidate. Yeah. Uh, once they do, I think we'll start seeing maybe some concerns from them. You remember, there are states that Republicans hope to win are likely to win, um, and not every state is is, is it hurt Biden. Um, you know, there's a lot of red states where a no-labels candidate um, could hurt Donald Trump. So, you know, one of the things, one of the interesting things to watch for is whether there's this kind of selective litigation where, you know, Biden's not going to care. He's not going to litigate Alabama, right? So his, his, the mark Elias of the world are not going to be totally worried about those states.
8: Right. But, I but,
10: but, but the Republican side may mm-hmm. so you may see some selective litigation mm-hmm. in in states where they think they may they may be most hurt. So that that's a kind of a good way to see where they're you know where they think they have some some trouble is yeah. where they actually litigate. Jared, but, it's
2: a great topic, man. Great work. I really appreciate it and and telling our audience about it. Jared uh, Renshaw, appreciate it. White House reporter for Reuters. No problem. Uh, have a great have weekend, a Jared. All right, bye bye. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'm going to come back and take your calls. Bottom of the hour, Julie Bendaris. Then all bets are off.
1: Hear the ins and outs of the 2024 election right here. The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
7: I think if he thinks I have no chance and I have no hope, then why is he running millions of dollars of ads against me? Do we really want to have two 80 year olds running for president? When we've got a country in disarray and a world on fire, I know that we've had some independents come our way. And, yes, we've had some Democrats say they want to support us because they're not happy with Joe Biden.
2: So Nikki Haley not giving up at all. It's very confident. You know, one thing about her, you watch her in a in, in the smallest interview or the biggest town hall. Very confident. And not scared, and warm, but tough. And I, I, I remember uh, reading her book and thinking to myself, she's doing an incredible job at the UN. Which, well, by the way, she was almost impossible to book to. She'd be in New York City across town. We we have to get her in here. We watched her fiery speeches. We saw she was one of the few, unlike Rex Tillerson, that understood the car, the president and had to work with him. And he would say, "Listen, I'm going to go blast China." She'd say, "I'm going to go blast China today. You know, I'm going to go blast Rocket Man today." And, and then, then when was time to back off, and the president said, I'm going to set up a meeting and just try to, uh, try to de-escalate this situation. She backed off. But when she was done after two and a half years, I thought she was going to finish the four. She got the White House meeting because the president had that much respect for the job she did. And when she took the job as governor of South Carolina, she said, I'll only take the job if I can report directly to you. That means they know each other well. And that bar bothered, by the way, the secretary of state, too, at the time.
1: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I
8: also want to mention Congressman De- Deborah Ross. Where's Deborah? I just had my t- p- picture taken with her. That's probably why she left. <laughs> no, all kidding, Anyway, you, you can, oh, she couldn't be here, actually. That's not true. I got it mixed up. And she has, you know, she fights very hard for the people of this district, and she's up in Washington right now.
2: So Deborah is the congresswoman that represented the district. He spoke in yesterday in North Carolina, Julie Banderas. And he said, oh, I just took a picture with her. Deborah." Well, who's and they go, "Deborah's not even here. So again, totally clueless. I mean, everyone makes mistakes. We do public speaking all the time. But this is nonstop with this guy. This is the president of the United States. But- he doesn't know who he took a picture with in the district
5: that he's actually appearing in? I actually to make it worse, I thought he was referring to the vice president and forgot who Kamala was. Oh, no, <laughs> I was no. Like, wait, is he talking about Kamala Harris? Yeah, no, she's your VP. Remember you picked her because she's a minority? But no, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. He doesn't know names. You're not supposed to expect to know names when you're the president of the United States. I mean, it, it, it the poor guy should just never speak in public. That's what he really does. Unless he has a teleprompter. And that's why he never really does speak. They don't want him to speak because they know that he's going to do stuff like this.
2: You know, it was in print. And I think you read it, too. His former chief of staff came out. She's now on MSNBC and said to the to the handlers, by the way, which shows, do you notice that they talk to him through the media? Because evidently he must be impossible to get a hold of. So you are Axelrod making his statements, Carville making his statements. Obviously, they could have handled that per privately, right. that your your campaign is backwards, you have the wrong message, Bidenomics doesn't work. They're doing it publicly because they can't get through. So this woman comes out and she says, you have to let Joe Biden be Joe Biden. He's great one-on-one with people, working the rope line, speaking extemporaneously in town halls. And I'm thinking to myself, well, no. <laughs> no. Uh, that would be a disaster, but you might not have a choice. Are you just going to try to run reelect with surrogates? Well uh, uh, Pritzker and, and uh Gavin Newsom. I Walton, mean, of of all, Minnesota?
5: the inter-office fighting going on in that White House, if I could be a fly on the wall, seriously, if you imagine, first of all, there's all these different directives when it comes to Bidenomics, for example, which that wasn't even a term he came up with. Somebody else came up with it. It was the
2: Wall Street Journal.
5: And he went with it for a while. Then they realized, wait a second, this makes no sense. Our 40 million later sucks. to sell yeah, Our economy sucks. Why are we, pro- you know, why are we promoting Bidenomics when really there is no Bidenomics? It's Biden failure. So, I mean, and that is a campaign message that I think they were going to run with and now they're not they don't have their ducks in a row i don't think biden nobody i I, if they do give biden any advice he certainly doesn't take it because they have mixed mixed messaging coming out of the white house that's the worst way to run an administration
2: and i think you have an example too of a guy that they don't want speaking because number one people for example after the taiwan elections this was a victory for democracy but it is scary because it means china is more likely to invade so do you want do you believe in taiwan independence no now, what does that mean? For the average person doesn't understand the nuances of this territory of China that has its independence that was hatched in 1940. So why not you just take a second, use this opportunity to say, I'm not for an independence, but I love that democracy worked. Europe put out a benign message. Uh, there was everyone saying this shows it worked. Congressional leaders, speaker on down, it shows it worked. And uh, we stand with the democracy and free Taiwan. We got it. Understood. Never wants to say anything. Then when he's asked. Yesterday about the Houthi rebels, uh, he's asked about the Houthi rebels and says, "You know, what about uh, what about them? Are they designated a terror state?" Last week he says yes, and then this week he's asked, "Are the strikes on the Houthi rebels working?" Here they are.
9: Are the airstrikes in Yemen working? Well,
7: when you say working, are they stopping the Houthis? No. Are they going to continue? Yes.
2: Thanks. Well, what do you do? Well, Your that's reaction? really, that's really,
5: yeah, no, that's real, real reconcerting. I mean, you, you don't even know what's happening overseas. Who is making the call? Who is the commander in chief? Because I don't think it's President Biden, to be perfectly honest. With I mean, the, his military generals are obviously keeping him abreast of the situation. And the fact that we... He made the call. He basically was the one that finally gave them the go-ahead that, yes, let's go after the Houthis, who've been, by the way, for months, hundreds of attacks on U.S. soldiers and on uh, ships going through shipping channels, and they've been getting away from for years. Iran's been getting away with it for years, and so he finally pulled the trigger, and he figures, oh, I did my part. I gave them the go-ahead, but I don't think he's doing any follow-up. He needs to actually know if it's working, and if it's not working, then why aren't we doing more?
2: Or you say... So far, the attacks have continued, which means we're going to ratchet up our attacks. Right. And let them know it's only going to get worse for you. Here's Nikki Haley, how she would answer the question. Cut 36.
7: And so now that they have started causing trouble there, you know, what we're seeing Biden do is now he's like, uh-oh, we're going to go put the terrorist designation back on them. And now even if you put the sanctions back on Iran, it's going to take a while to do that. And so our goal should always be how do you prevent war? That's the number one thing. How do you prevent war? And the best way you prevent war is to deter it in the first place. That doesn't mean putting your head in the sand. It actually means showing strength. So when Iran started shooting at our men and women in Iraq and Syria... Why did it take 130
5: times for Biden mm-hmm. to do something about it? Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And by the way, there are a lot of officials, military officials that will say that going after Iran proxies isn't enough. And I'm not saying that we need to declare war against Iran, but we definitely need to put more pressure on Iran. And as far as giving Iran those billions of dollars so that they can turn around that sanctioned money that we just gave back to Iran for them to go around, turn around and buy more weapons to attack US soldiers and and they're not considered a terrorist network what the hell how is it that the houthis are not in the terrorist network and regime well, what do something about that not well, that it would make any difference
2: yeah but if, by doing that as you know you uh enter into the white house in 2021 first week anthony blinken changes it in order to let iran know i want to be friends we mean i want to get back exactly. to exactly nu- you gotta to show to Iran nuclear. we mean
5: business but biden doesn't mean business in any r- s- way shape yeah, or form. and
2: then you went to saudi arabia and said you're a pariah nation go really They've been rocketing us. You take them off the terrorists list. Yep. We're a pariah nation. Right. So now Saudi Arabia goes, "Hey, I just settled things down with them. You told me to." Now they were telling us, "Don't rocket the Houthis because it's going to start rocketing us again." Mm-hmm. But we had finally have no, we finally have no choice uh, through it. So this is a huge mess. But what's very interesting, I don't buy into the Republican argument in some circles that we should not get involved. I don't believe that we. I believe that we have to back up uh, Israel. I think that we, if we're going to keep those shipping lanes open, we have to do it. Now, I know they're playing us. They want us distracted. But it still doesn't, uh, it doesn't stop us from being responsible. Like they don't – there is a section of the Republican Party that does not like that answer from uh, Nikki Haley. I do.
5: I, no, I think we need to be stronger. I mean, and, and you know, the, the rest of the world, the Arab world, the Muslim world, they don't like the fact the United States is backing Israel. The, 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 you know, Israel has every ch- every right in, 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 in the world to defend itself. And that's exactly what it's doing. Um, so they're not committing genocide. It was Hamas that committed genocide. And as far as all these other terrorist groups getting involved with Hezbollah, attacking Israel from the north, now you got the Houthis from Yemen. I mean, it's a disaster. And Iran is behind all of it. And what has the United States done? Absolutely nothing. We get called out for backing Israel. What we should be doing is going after Iran and Iran proxies and their hand in terror, not only in Yemen, uh, but in Iraq. I Mm -hmm. mean, we've been getting they've been getting attacked there. They're behind the war. They're 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 they're, you know, helping fund the war between Russia and Ukraine. When is somebody going to hold Iran accountable and by hold them accountable? I mean, have the kahunas. I'd like to say another word. It rhymes with malls. Um, to actually stand up to Iran. I know you don't. Maybe in the commercial I'll spell it out for you.
2: So the other big story, uh, which has really become a 50-state story, is what's happening at the border. And I'm amazed. I don't know what kind of deal is going to be struck, what's going to be submitted. Uh, By the way, what are you going to be on today?
5: Oh, I'm going to be on Outnumbered. So, you know, I've got plenty of time. I'll just take over the rest of your show.
2: Right. So you could be on for another hour and 15 minutes. Yeah,
5: no, totally. All I right. can totally go on TV looking the way I do with a roller in my head. Yeah. Wait, is, that a, is that a roller? It is. I, I thought that was a natural. Bump. No, you no? thought I bumped my head, didn't you? Right. No, I didn't. Um, I may speak like I do, but no, that's a roller.
2: Um, Do you a lot of head balls as a kid?
5: I love head balls. Right. There you go, saying the word. Thank and, you, Brian.
2: But <laughs> that's the word? I knew I'd get it out <laughs> of them. Yeah, head. Um. Here is uh, Charlemagne, the God of all people, and this is, just should worry Joe Biden to the core. Listen to what he said about that immigration issue. Remember, if we talk about it, Joey, we don't like Hispanics. If we talk about cracking down the world, we don't believe in the Statue of Liberty. Cut twenty one.
6: Like I, I've, I've, I honestly have never spoken to as many people who are concerned about the migrant issue as I have, you know, o- over the past year. They took two thousand migrants and, and and put them in the school and made the school stay home. Made the, the students stay home and, and 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 uh you know do school via, via via Zoom and that was a big issue. I've never seen, you know, working class people who I interact with every day until this past year really 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 express their frustration.
2: What does that show you? That that guy does a, an urban morning show will never vote for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Is totally disillusioned with Joe Biden and that's the reality.
5: No. Okay. Biden is in trouble. I mean, he's in real trouble. I mean, not only is he screwing things up overseas, but really, honestly, the taxpayers here are just fed up. And the immigration crisis is now something that's really pissing off Democrats. Finally. Do you see there was a
2: stabbing at Randall's Island last night? Yes! Yeah.
5: Like, when did that ever happen before all of these...
2: These kids used to play sports on those fields. No,
5: it's awful. Now and, and it's a tense city. Every other every other place that I talk to with other families that still live in the city that didn't get out like I did, are, oh, another homeless shelter is opening up down the street. Oh, another hotel is taking on migrants. We're getting right. bust thousands and thousands of migrants a day, and the city is going to crap, and there's nothing any Democratic mayor is going to do about it.
2: Right. And because it po- comes
5: down to Biden.
2: And these uh, these poor teachers, instead of English as a second language and learning Spanish, it's beyond Spanish. They're coming in with all different languages that they don't even know. Uh, They don't even know. So these teachers in these schools are already overtaxed giving all their attention to legal immigrants, not paying taxes. What
5: about that school in Brooklyn that actually had to close down for a day and the kids had to do remote learning because right. they, had Floyd, Floyd of, uh, yeah, they had to fill a bunch of – Yeah, they had to fill a gymnasium full of migrants. And then you've got certain Democrats on Twitter who I, were precious because I, I, I just went nuts over this story, basically saying, oh, what, do you expect them to be out in the cold? No, I expect them to stay in freaking Mexico. Ah, right. So right. that's not my problem. You bring your child here, I'm sorry, throw him a blanket. But I, I have no sympathy for these people. So right You now, did this to yourselves, and
2: They put them in an airfield. I'm
5: going to identify as a migrant because I don't want to have to pay for my kids' schooling anymore, and I do not want to pay taxes.
2: Right, but we already on the air, and you already we already called yourself out. I'm sorry.
5: Yeah, hopefully the IRS doesn't listen to Fox. They
2: do. (laughs) Okay. Um, So right now it's snowing, and it might be windy. So does that mean is it snowing? I'm gonna go awesome. to a hotel and get a free room. You wanna yeah, join snow, me? Right? I mean not
5: together, that would be inappropriate. But yeah, I, yeah. I think we you should. You just go. asked me to
2: go to a hotel room? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Right. I
5: will see you in HR. But I mean we could go over to the Ritz Carlton and be like, book me, you know? I mean that's ridiculous. The yeah. Pennsylvania Hotel and all these beautiful hotels, like
2: it's uh, who terrible. are you, you, do you go up to the you actually say to the Ritz Carlton, book me or do no, you say it to our travel? I tell
5: Fox. Right. <laughs> yeah. So
2: so right now it's snowing and if it's windy, guess what's gonna happen again? They, they put them in an airfield. It gets windy. No, it's So really now bad. they're going to take the Floyd Bennett School, thousands of people. Do you hear that they don't like the food that we're giving for free? So they're walking around to cars, asking for money, knocking on doors, asking for food.
5: Wait, what? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yes. They're complaining about the food?
2: They, they're throwing you it out. you
5: kidding. Okay, they, then stop feeding them. Right. Stop feeding them. So I, I say you, tough love for the So migrants. I know what you
2: thought to yourself. It's bad, and we're New Yorkers, but what about children of Australia? How do they feel? Is that what you were saying to yourself? No. Oh. Uh, cut 41.
5: <laughs> oh, I don't like here you, y'all. Because there's a lot of rubbish. You said it's
1: pretty. Oh, there's a little rubbish everywhere.
3: Look at all
5: the stuff on the floor. So many people here. Mom, I don't like you all. Oh, my God. So what is
2: the background on that, Allison? Because you just told me to play it. I never heard it before, but it's even better than you told me.
0: I know, right? You watched the video. Um, Australian mother was walking around with her toddler and filming her toddler talking about the streets of New York. There's a lot of rubbish.
5: It's dirty. The mother said, you're going to go to New York. It's beautiful. You're going to love it. She was not impressed. Oh, my God. That's really sad. Right. Because I mean, tourists. And that, and by the way, that's a great example of why tourists aren't even going to want to come in here. Why in the hell would you drive out not only residents and tax taxpaying uh, Americans out of a city that needs to thrive off of our tax dollars, but you're throwing out tourists without tourists? Do you remember what happened in New York City after 9-11? The amount of businesses yeah. that went out of business and the pandemic. So basically, they're going to turn this into the 80s again, where basically the only job you can get on the street is prostitution.
2: Right. Right, and they're not hiring right now.
5: No, they're not. The prostitutes don't even want to work in New York City. I
2: think prostitution's legal now.
5: I think. Do you know, Eric? Wait, are you kidding me? <laughs> Why no. would Brian know this? That's what I want to know. Because right. I did not know this. You know, I know is, that is, pot is, is legal. Prostitution
2: uh, legal? Allison, does anyone know?
5: I don't know if the top may have it. You go to Eric first, asking him. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I'll ask Greg Gutfeld. He'll know. right. He would okay. know.
2: He would okay. know. That's he throws tough. you on
5: the bus all the time, so I feel like I, I even, have to. Get I him haven't back. heard that at all. No, not at all. He <laughs> loves you. Right. Your face is on Gutfeld every single. More
2: minute. than even on this show. No,
5: I think you're actually on that show more than you are Fox and Friends. Back
1: in a moment. <laughs> the 2024 race is on. We've got our ticket punched out of Iowa.
5: Iowa
7: made this Republican primary a two-person race.
1: The latest polls, instant analysis. I want to congratulate Ron and Nikki for having a good time together. Next stop, New Hampshire, right here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
9: So you are going to refuse to take my order because my child was screaming?
1: Yes, I have the right to do that. You're more than welcome to come inside or you can
6: place an order online and we'll make it for you.
5: And what is really like you're going to not
9: take my order?
6: Yes, ma'am, that is what I'm saying.
9: All right, well, I do have this on video and I will be emailing corporate because that's just like completely...
8: Rude. I cannot
9: come inside because my daughter does not have shoes on. Do you understand that?
8: No, I understand, but you're also more than welcome to order through online as well.
9: So you want me to take an extra 20 minutes and order online? That's not convenient to me. It's your job to take orders and stuff, and this is ridiculous. So I'd like you to take my order, please.
6: Okay. I will be happy to take your order as long as your daughter in the stream, all right?
9: I think that's a pretty good decision on your part.
6: I don't need this attitude.
5: Oh, uh, my God. I so, mean, I hate screaming kids, but that's insane.
2: So, Julie Benders is here, and that was an example of someone coming up on a drive-thru with a oh. screaming kid at Panera Bread and wanted to place the order. He says, you have to come inside, obviously. So, who's right? You should oh, be.
5: Oh, no. You know what I would have done? I would have gone inside with my kid in their bare feet and just actually triggered her to have a complete mental, like like, temper tantrum.
2: So, you, but do you, but you understand the drive-thru guy? guy? How, what an aggravating job that is, being a drive-thru guy at Panera?
5: Uh, okay, get another job. Like, don't work in the service industry too freaking bad. You work at Panera. If you're working in the service industry, you have to understand that there's going to be clients that some, she wasn't even being difficult. And I hate, like, again, I hate the sound of a child screaming, crying, laughing, talking, breathing. But with that said, I mean, I can, I can understand somebody obviously doesn't have kids getting triggered, but you can't do that. That's your job. But that's the problem because America, he's probably some young, like, I don't know, 20-year-old, has no value whatsoever for, like, job security. He didn't even care when she threatened corporate because that's the sort of mentality that we're raising these days. He's like entitled brats.
2: Right. Uh, the thing is, what I think, got him ultimately the order, the camera.
5: Yeah. He didn't seem so fazed by it, but he's like, no, if she starts screaming, I'm still not taking your order. <laughs> he's stuck to his guns. He's got head.
2: He's got what do you mean?
5: Head. What does not, that mean? Well, not malls. He's got head. It's my new word for 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 that other word, balls. Okay, oh, go on. I understood. Catch up, Brian.
2: Do you have any uh, Do you have any idea what you're going to be talking about in that number? No,
5: I have no idea. Um, probably 2024 in the election because you know we have that coming up.
2: Um, uh,
5: Nick- Iowa. Let's talk about New Hampshire. Real
2: yeah. quick, if uh, Nikki Haley does not win New Hampshire yeah. or get within three of New Hampshire, does she fight on?
5: I don't think she can. I mean, I think she will, but I don't think she can. I think if if Trump takes both Iowa and New Hampshire, it's over. I mean, he's Even phenomenal. though she's going
2: to South Carolina, yeah. where she was governor. Yeah. That would be double as embarrassing. I know, but
5: New Hampshire happens first, and once you lose New Hampshire and Iowa, you're done.
2: All right, Julie Benderis, thanks so much.
5: This was fun.
2: With rollers in your hair?
5: Heads or tails. And a chip
2: on your shoulder. Yeah. Uh, we really had a good half hour. I love you, Brian. Uh, I love you back, <laughs> but we're not going to the Ritz-Colton together. No. That was just an no, expression. No, I'd rather the plaza. The plaza? The is crap. That's true. It's got more history. Yeah.
1: <laughs> From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmead.
2: Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. And thanks for being with us all week long. Kind of excited. Fox Nation uh, this weekend, Sunday, 3 o'clock Eastern Time, 2 o'clock local time, Juliet, uh, Illinois. I'll be doing uh, talking about the Teddy and Booker T Tour on stage. We're just talking about winning the war in history. It's going to be patriotic, motivational, inspirational. Watch it on the stream, on the Fox Nation stream. But Saturday night at, uh, at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, One Nation. Got a great lineup that includes Pierce Morgan includes harold ford and uh joe Concho will be on and we have uh tom kirsting too about your kids and uh the algorithms that are targeting your kids you might not have any uh any idea about so we're going to go over some of that and i think we're going to follow up on the georgia story where the state case was supposed to put the president in jail uh seems to be blowing up before we get to the great Shannon and bream let's get to the big three
1: now with the stories you need to know it's brian's
3: big three number three reaction to uh, Netanyahu rejecting a Palestinian state in a post-war scenario for Gaza?
4: I would just tell you that nothing's changed about President Biden's desire that a two-state solution is really in the best interest of not only the Israeli people, but, uh, but of course the Palestinian people.
2: Yeah, that is Admiral Kirby, all eyes on the Middle East as we are attacking the Houthis daily. Israel is crushing Hamas and being pressured by us to stop. Why both have to continue with an eye on the cause of it all, and that is Iran.
6: Number two. Like, I've, I've, I honestly have never spoken to as many people who are concerned about the migrant issue as I have over the past year. Working class people who I interact with every day until this past year really, really, really expressed their frustration.
2: No escaping the effects of Biden's intentionally broken border. Cities rock. Texas takes over their own border and criminals running rampant as ICE is forced to look the other way, especially in Boston. Will the Senate plan fix it all? Or not at all
11: number
3: one. All the polls show Trump with a pretty sizable lead among Republicans. So if Nikki Haley doesn't actually win the New Hampshire primary, that, that is the state that's probably one of the most favorable states for her on this primary map. And if she can't get a win there, that would be a huge Trump victory and it almost finalize Trump's role as the nominee going into South Carolina.
2: Josh Crash weighing in more than just the first primary, the New Hampshire showdown is shaping up to be a make or break for Nikki Haley. Why? Super Tuesday is two months away after all. I'll explain as DeSantis holds out for South Carolina, but is not spending any money. And just keep in mind, if you ever leave your family of affiliates, the affiliates you're listening to me right now, you could always listen on the Fox News app. You could watch on Fox Nation uh, and you could get us on the podcast, your favorite platform. Uh, Shannon Bream, anchor of Fox News Sunday. She's also Fox News legal correspondent uh, and she joins us now. Shannon, welcome back.
0: Good morning from New Hampshire.
2: From New Hampshire. You're there already. Tell me what I... So we're going to have a chance to hang out. You could option not to. A lot of people choose not to, and you wouldn't be alone, but we'll have an option to hang out because I'm heading there Sunday.
0: Well, listen, now that the restraining order is expired, right. I think it's time for us to do some in-person radio.
2: As long as you don't renew it.
0: <laughs> well, it depends on how things go in New Hampshire, so be on your best behavior.
2: Understood. Remember that hour special you're going to do on me? Uh did you did you uh, did you get that okayed?
0: It's in the works. Yeah. 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 We're All of budget. Fox News Sunday. If didn't have such you know, outstanding demands, we would have done it already. Oh,
2: so it's my schedule.
0: And and financial demands.
2: Right. Okay, that's true. Hey, by the way, Dr. David Agus is coming on a little bit later, author of the Book of Animal Secrets. So I'm just telling that for the audience, not for you, but you might want to listen as well.
0: Okay. Sounds right. interesting.
2: So I want to talk, about, if I can, about the Georgia situation. So mm-hmm. what's salacious and what is matters? So you got the prosecutor who hires what seems to be, she's not denying it, a special prosecutor with very little experience that has been billed up, uh, has already billed up to a million dollars. More that he's getting paid more than the other special prosecutors to investigate mm-hmm. the uh, former president of the United States. Uh, at which time he's already showed up and twice and billed for meetings with the, uh, with the White House, which is fascinating because they said there's no coordination between the White House and any of these cases. Mm-hmm. So that, that's out the window. Now the judge wants to see her about ethical violations. Can you give uh, me an understanding of basically what's unethical and what is legally problematic?
0: Well, I mean, she is responsible for the expenditures of her office. And so if there are allegations that she was doing it in some way to enrich herself, you know, the accusations are that she's in some type of romantic relationship with this attorney that she's hired and they've gone on expensive trips, those kinds of things. That could be a problem if that stuff proves out to be true. Um, But the fact that the judge is having a hearing, I think it's February 15th they set it for, and apparently it's televised also if the parties, you know, so decide if people decide to televise it. So we may get a lot of interesting information uh, about Fonnie Willis, about how her office operated. So the question would really be, um, did she have any improper use of funds in her office for her own personal benefit?
2: Right. And you just wonder, too. Number one, is it just perception of coordination with the White House? So, if for example, that's what that's going to help President Trump tell everybody his story's got validity. Mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. But should you be talking to the White House about your case that's supposedly supposedly about only about Georgia?
0: Right. Well, it's interesting because she's impressed on that so many times from the first time that we saw her come out and announce the big indictment. It was late at night. She kept getting pressed on these questions. Have you coordinated with the DOJ? Have you worked with the DOJ? So there have been a lot of questions on that. Or is this something that you have used only your state resources to prosecute this Georgia-based case, RICO and all that good stuff under state law? Um, I've never heard her fully answer that question, so it'll be interesting to see what we find out. Again, like you said, if there's billing that connects a meeting with the White House to these efforts in Georgia, I think they're going to have to answer some questions on that front.
2: So do you think she should be removed or could be removed?
0: Um, Not for me to decide whether she should, but I think that this fact-finding hearing on February 15th will be really interesting because – Listen, it's it's something that, um, you know, some of the folks who are at the receiving end of her prosecution say this isn't fair. You know, they flagged it. It'll be interesting to see what the judge determines um, from her testimony, from whoever else is, is you know, called in to testify and give some accounts to exactly what's happened with the resources. Anything is possible. I mean, if it's found that she has some kind of improper ethical situation going on, um, and then what does that do to the case? If she's removed as prosecutor, does the rest of the team carry on? Is some of the other rest of the team tainted um, by this attorney that um, she's hired that allegedly has a relationship with? Um, all I know is that for the Georgia defendants, all of this could be very good if it delays their case in any way.
2: Shannon, the other issue was this, this person, this Nathan Wade, has never tried a felony case. Mm-hmm. He's mostly does divorces and accidents. So if it shows that uh, the relationship, which she doesn't deny, and she's at a black church saying that you have to give black women some grace. I don't know what that means. But if this guy is put in that place and a relationship is out there and he's got a divorce coming up and evidently Mm -hmm. she wants to depose uh, Fannie Willis. So Mm -hmm. having all this come up, she was already making a bad choice by picking someone without a background to try a former president in a state court. So in a city, uh, in a city, uh, in the city district, I'm just wondering. Right away, is it just bad judgment? It's going to hurt her reelection, or does a judge look at that and say, "I, uh, I'm that's going to factor in my decision."
0: Well, I mean, it's not just that he hasn't tried a felony case. You know, these RICO cases exceptionally complex. There are multiple, multiple defendants in this thing, so that would be a lot for anybody to take on. Now, if you don't have the experience in RICO and in prosecuting these big felony cases, it is a very unusual choice that this would be the attorney you would choose and pay all this money to when you're paying other people who apparently have way more experience in this field less money. Um, to also be part of the legal team. So I think she's going to ask some very tough questions. And listen, the judge gets this. The The judge has overseen cases for who knows how long they've been sitting on the bench, but they know what it takes to put these cases together. Now, everybody who's been asked about Nathan Wade says he's a good attorney. He's respected. Um, people think that you know, he's in good standing in the legal community. But something of this um, specialty is not something you'd want to do as a first case, first-time case in this field when you're trying, as you said, a former president.
2: So uh, it's not even the president that challenged this. It's one of the co-defendants mm-hmm. that challenged this. Does the president, should the president, would you recommend if you were working for him, would it, would it be to his benefit to join this case?
0: I mean, certainly if if there's an opportunity for him to allege uh, uh, or to lodge an ethical complaint, I think this is a good bandwagon for his legal team to get on. Um, They've had a lot of challenges, and things have not gone well for them in Georgia, and they're facing some serious issues. So why not um, cast in with this effort and see what you can get out of it?
2: Yeah, we'll see where it goes. Right now, the way I understand it, the Alvin Bragg case is probably going to be first because after the Super Tuesday, mm-hmm. the date was supposed to be, I believe was supposed to be the January sixth case by Jack Smith right after Super Tuesday. But now since they brought asked the court to rule on whether the president had immunity,
0: mm-hmm.
2: when that does that delay everything?
0: It probably will because once you you know, they had arguments at the appellate level, so this one level below the Supreme Court said, We're not getting involved with it. Let's see what happens in the lower court. They've had their arguments. They could turn that around pretty quickly. So they could even get a decision before February. Now, you can go for the next level before the Supreme Court, that en banc hearing, which is all the judges on that appellate court have to sit and hear, rehear the case. Um, And then you could go to the Supreme Court. So we thought all along the Trump legal team would use every one of those levers to slow this thing down. But right now, it does not look probable that Jack Smith gets his March start date, but it's possible.
2: Because, oh, like, they keep going up. And then when they say, let's say they just rule against the president, don't have immunity, go up again, don't have immunity. Then the, does the defense turn around and say, oh, yeah, but now I need some time. I need some time. Or are they expected <laughs> to have a case ready in case? I know they want a delay, so let's know having said that. Right. I So is their case supposed to be ready in case they don't get the judgment
0: well remember they've been fighting with the courts about this because it was supposed to pause the case the the district level which is that first level with judge Chutkin, when the appellate court started to hear these arguments about immunity it freezes that lower court's ability that trial court's uh, ability to handle the case technically it's not their case anymore so things aren't supposed to proceed so um, the special counsel was still doing things, providing documents, all the things you would do in preparation for a trial. And Trump's team went in and said, whoa, 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 this is supposed to be on pause. So it's clear that they want to buy the time. So even if they get a ruling that's adverse to them, after all the appeals or whatever it is, they say, now we take the pause button off and now we start over with what was happening at the trial court. While special counsel's office is saying, no, we, we want to keep you know, the underlying stuff going so that whenever we get to an ultimate decision on immunity, we're ready to go.
2: And people point out to me how unusual it is for the prosecution to be in a rush. The defense has a Mm -hmm. right to a speedy trial. But how do you possibly argue that the (laughs) politics has nothing to do with it when the prosecution's in such a rush to get it done this year?
0: Well, and and the Trump legal team will say, you know, two, three years you waited to bring these charges. So why is it now that after two or three years in which you could have brought a lot of these charges, you finally get them and now you want to speed everything up? So – Regardless of what you think of the merits of the case, it gives the Trump team and the, and the former president the, this argument, this ability to say, doesn't this look partisan? And so special counsel is going to have to – they won't right. come out publicly and discuss it or address it, but they have to know the perceptions there.
2: So I want you to talk about perception again. So Merrick Garland had a presser yesterday, mostly about Uvalde, <laughs> but he had this, this uh, give and take with Evan Perez, uh, cut 20.
0: Some of the polling recently shows that three-quarters of Republicans believe that he's being targeted uh, for political reasons. Uh, does it concern you that, uh, that this public perception exists, and, and what can you do to try to change that? Okay, um, of course, it concerns me. Um, what we have to do is show by the acts that we take that we're following the law, that we're following the facts. The um, uh, prosecutions that you're talking about were brought last year um, and the uh, special prosecutor has uh, said from the beginning uh, that he thinks uh, public interest requires a speedy uh, trial, which I agree with you. Do. I do. And uh, the matter is now in the hands of the
1: a trial judges to determine when the uh, trials will take place.
2: OK, he says it's the public that d- demands a speedy trial.
0: Well, uh, you know, I guess that's the argument that they want to know what they're dealing with before they go to the ballot boxes primary races or the general election if President Trump is the GOP nominee. Um, that's been sort of the argument in some of the DOJ argu- you know, documents and things that they've put forward. They say it's of national interest. It needs to be resolved because they want people to know what they're dealing with and who they're voting for. Um, but listen, even if President Trump was convicted on all of this stuff and he was sitting in jail, he'd still run for president keep him off the ballot. The one thing that is the potential fight to keep him off the ballot Supreme Court's going to hear those cases on February 8th about him being kicked off the Colorado ballot and all these other states that are trying to do it by extension. But the fact is, um, you know, voters will make their decision. I think they know exactly who President Trump is, um, for <laughs> yeah. better or for worse, whether they love him or hate him. They, you know, there, there's no mystery to who he is when you go and make a decision at the ballot box.
2: That is true. Uh, Do you know anybody of legal standing that thinks the president's going to get kicked off the Colorado ballot, meaning the other ballots and the other uh, other states that want to do the same thing?
0: I mean, there are people arguing for it and say that a clear reading of the 14th Amendment says that he should get kicked off. But there are also plenty of people across the ideological, left, right, and center, who are very respected attorneys who say, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. In fact, You know, there are a lot of us who think there could be a unanimous decision from the Supreme Court. That's how tenuous this Colorado decision is. Um, But listen, it's lightning speed that the Supreme Court is hearing this February 8th. For them, that is a rocket, as we like to call it. So I don't think we'll have to wait long to see what they decide.
2: All right, Shannon, who's on your show?
0: We have got three members of Congress who are surrogates up here in New Hampshire, working it for all these candidates. Um, so we'll talk to them about the campaign trail, but also all of the shenanigans in Washington. J.D. Vance, senator, is going to be one of the folks with us. Of course, he's a Trump surrogate, and he's also apparently on the shortlist for VP. Maybe we can get some inside scoop.
2: All right. I know you can, if anyone can. Uh, Shannon Bream, I can't wait to see you in person. Um, I'm going to be uh, wearing a blazer, so you'll be able to recognize me.
0: Bring a stocking cap also. You'll need that. Absolutely. It's,
2: it's that cold.
0: <laughs> Bring
2: it. Uh, uh, I'm not going to stay outdoors. Uh, Shannon, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Okay. Uh, and watch Fox News Sunday, please. And, of course, don't forget Saturday night, one nation at nine. All right. When we come back, I have some time to squeeze in some calls, go out to St. Louis and go for uh, up to the Catskills and more. Uh, then Dr. David Agus joins us, author of a brand new book, The Book of Animal Secrets. Don't move.
1: Covering this election year like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: All right, guys, uh, let's go right to the phones. Julie, listen FM News Talk 971 in St. Louis. Hey, Julie.
9: Hey there. I'm going to start with a compliment to you, Brian, and I have two points. The first point, thank you. You lead with the most important point in the Fonnie Willis matter. Of course, everybody's interested in the affair and all that, but isn't the bigger issue that Biden is lying when he says he is not behind all of these prosecutions and yeah. in on it? And isn't that the bigger threat to democracy? Like Democrats talk about Republicans are a threat to democracy. Isn't he? He's trying to jail his political <clears throat> opponents, and I really hope you stay with that. I will. You know, they can replace Bonnie with somebody else. I'm a lawyer, by the way. They can replace her with somebody else, but that case will live on. It's like you, the in world, you know, in a war, you, the front line goes down, and they get the case to somebody else to fight the battle, and they will get that. There are any number of lawyers who will do that, but please, like that is just maddening that – and I see so many interviews, and that is what they go to is the billing and the trips and stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. it just shows the coordination with Julie. You know what I think? Uh, they're they're forcing all these others to, to cut a deal because you can't afford to defend yourself. They'll go bankrupt, so they're all flipping. So they until they get to Trump. But I don't know what they have on Trump. We all know what he how he where he stood.
1: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, welcome back, everybody. Dr. David Agus joins us now with a brand-new book. It's called The Book of Animal Secrets, Nature's Lessons for a Long and Happy Life. He's also the founding director and CEO of the Ellison Institute of Technology, professor of medicine engineer at the University of Southern California, longtime CBS contributor, and Howard Stern is one of his biggest fans. Uh, David, uh, Dr. Agus, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
12: Thank you, Brian. Great to be here.
2: Yeah, great to see you. A big fan of yours. I've never seen someone so conversational Uh, on camera, and I feel like I'm in your office uh, every time I see you, uh, and, of course, the way you're able to express uh, um, complex subjects. I know with this book is long delayed because of the whole plagiarism issue. Your co-writer admitted she did take some of the passages. How did you take action after that came out?
12: Yeah, it was a shock to me, right, Um, in that she admitted that she had taken some of the sentences from the book from other places. I rewrote it that night at my own expense. I pulled all of the books that were going to go in the market, and we re-released it um, with everything corrected. She had done it for dozens of books, um, and it certainly says something about the publishing industry in today's world where you can check for these things. I'm glad it was caught before the book was released, and I'm proud to have the book out.
2: Right, and so you went through that uh, but you still kept your practice the whole time, right? It sounded like you were out of work.
12: No, no, no. I mean, I'm still seeing patients. I'm still doing research. You know, luckily, she admitted to doing all of this, you know, on her own, and I knew nothing about it. Um, and the same is true for many other books with other authors. So uh, luckily, the, the bigger focus of my work, which is helping people, is continuing.
2: Gotcha. So so why did you say to yourself, um, like, there's, there's clues to our... I guess it's kind of obvious, too, if you do experimental with animals, but there were clues to our existence by studying other animals. That's the real premise of this book, correct?
12: Yeah, and listen, it's so freaking cool, is that we've been on this earth a million years, humans, so have animals, and we've all adapted to the same conditions. So how can we cheat? How can we learn about human health by studying other animals? You know, I was on Africa with our family, which is the coolest trip in the world in safari, and this elephant walks by and i go to the you know the the guide who's taking us and go listen they're 50 60 times bigger than you or i and they're in the sun all day elephants must get lots of cancer cuz the more number of cells the more chance for mutation and cancer and he looks at me he goes no elephants never get cancer and all of a sudden here was a clue Elephants, even though they have so many cells and all these conditions that could portend to cancer, don't get it. So we started to study each of these uh, uh, and figure out why. And it really was an amazing lesson to me. So a
2: couple of things. Elephants in the wild, I get it. Untouched by man, I understand it. But when we put them in a controlled environment like a zoo, aren't they susceptible to the same chemicals that we're around that people reportedly say play into some of the, the health challenges that we all get. So are you telling me the elephants also don't get cancer in captivity?
12: Yep. you know, listen, these chemicals, right? Egyptian mummies all died of cancer. And so obviously they had different chemicals than we have today, and yet they still had significant cancer. So elephants, you and I have a gene called P53. It's called the guardian of the genome. It corrects error in DNA from inflammation. You and I have one copy, Well, every elephant on every continent has 20 copies of this gene. And why? By the time we hit 20 or 30 as humans, we've had our children. So actually, knocking us off through evolution gave more food and housing to the next generation. Well, elephant females give birth into their late 60s, and the dominant male protects the herd until the day he dies. So they couldn't afford to get cancer, and they evolved away. So all of a sudden, here's a clue that if we can recapitulate, we could prevent all cancer,
2: so what did you learn from dogs being that there's so many different breeds i mean you have, I have a great pyrenees uh you you might uh have a bulldog how do you What do you get from dogs that could help us?
12: Great Pyrenees are pretty cool dogs, and they actually have a long life, which is very impressive right for a big but dog yeah. all dogs they sleep all day, and so the reason for that is they don't get deep sleep r e m sleep if they did. You'd be able to walk right by them and kill the sheep or whatever they were bred to guard. Your first night in a hotel, Brian, you sleep like a dog. Your Brian says, "I don't recognize your brain says, I don't recognize these surroundings. And so you don't get deep sleep because you're afraid. it's it's a mechanism of security. So when I travel, I'm traveling tonight, I'll bring a pillowcase with me for the pillow. I'll use my phone, my iPhone, as a clock before I go. So I have a visual cue, a sensory cue, and a smell cue so I can feel more like home, and I get better and more deep sleep when I travel.
2: Do you put that pillow in a bag, or are you one of those people that walk on the plane with the pillow in your arm?
12: No, I put the pillowcase oh, pillow All right, you and know. and I what put it saying. on the pillow at the hotel, and – yeah, and I have a little travel pillow I bring sometimes. But, no, I don't bring it on the plane. I put it in my little suitcase. Right, I, I have seen that. that. We've stuff.
2: all seen that, by the way. Uh, so, I'm
12: not one of them. I promise all you. All right.
2: So uh, before I go into other examples, because all this is fascinating, What? So, how do you realize this is something we can learn from? For example, people always say, oh, they use mice because they have similar makeups to humans. That's why people always try these different vaccines and medicines and studies on mice. What do what made you decide where to dig in and where to say, well, this is not going to help us?
12: You know, the the, the way the book works, is I went to the world's expert in each of these creatures. I sat with Jane Goodall and talked about big apes, and she told me about their parenting and the diet and what we can learn about human parenting. You know, it turns out there are the three types of parents in the ape world, and I met with the, all the experts. But what's interesting is that they're the parents who said, let the kid do whatever they want. They climb a tree. They fall. They break their arm. Those kids die at a very early age because they take too much risk. They're the parents who never let a kid climb a tree at all, and those kids are always followers and never leaders. And then the parents who out of the corner of their eye follows the tree, Once the kid. And once they get a little bit too high, they go and they they rescue that kid. And they basically let them fall a couple of times, skin their knees a bunch of time. And those are the kids that become leaders. An amazing lesson for us on parents. So So I met the world's leader on ants, on giraffes, on all of these animals. And I say, here are the hallmarks of Alzheimer's, cancer, heart disease, and longevity. What can I learn from your system?
2: So where do you go for Alzheimer's advances
12: or insight? So it turns out dolphins are one of the few creatures on earth that get something very similar to human Alzheimer's. And so what can we learn from dolphins for humans? Well, one of the things is, is that when dolphins are part of a pack, even if their brain looks like it's Alzheimer's, they're they're asymptomatic and they live very well. But once they become loners, not social, the incidence of Alzheimer's goes up significantly. And the same is true in humans. And we really have to focus on that. Being social connections is important and why we are human and critically important to prevent disease. You know, people with a large social network, it's one of the things that portend for longevity. You know, if you look at the largest study ever done on Alzheimer's, it was every year you delay retirement. You reduce the incidence of Alzheimer's by three and a half to four. Really? Wow. And so it doesn't mean you have to do your primary job. You don't have to still host a, a show. But what you do is you keep your brain active. You don't use it. You lose it.
2: Uh, that that's uh, that instinctively, I think that's that's correct. How do you know if a dolphin has Alzheimer's?
12: You start to see it do erratic behavior, and it's not doing the behavior searching for food and others, and it starts to get very skinny. And then on autopsies, it's got some of the changes in the brain that the human brain has on Alzheimer's.
2: Understood. A couple more examples. Um, you say uh,
12: rhinos. Yeah. So the rhinos, it's two very cool things. One is if you've ever seen a rhino it is a large animal yet they don't get arthritis which is pretty amazing if you think about it you know all all of us get osteoarthritis you know which is the the common form of arthritis in our knees our hips our fingers etc part of it is rhinos only run in straight lines right they don't do that zigging and zagging mainly that we do in common sports where we get our injuries an important lesson there but I think the key one to the rhinos is they were trying to breed the rhinos in captivity and they weren't having any luck. And they started to look at the food they were eating because rhinos are very large. They need a very large amount of food and expensive. So they were using an inexpensive source of protein, soy protein. And it turns out soy protein is what we call a phytoestrogen. It has properties of the molecule estrogen. So when they changed the food from this phytoestrogen soy to another source of protein, all of a sudden the rhinos got pregnant in captivity and we were able to breed rhinos and bring many of them back from literally near extinction. An important lesson that too much of something is bad and many things in nature, even though they're coming from a plant, can have properties that are medicinal.
2: So, uh, Dr. Agus, uh, the book sounds fascinating. It's going to be a huge hit. The Book of Animal Secrets, Nature's Lessons for a Long and Happy Life. Just uh, every page, you learn something. But I just got to ask you, you know, we're trying to figure out what happened with the pandemic. And we know Dr. Fauci's going behind closed doors saying, well, they're three feet apart, six feet apart. We kind of made that up. And masks did or didn't work, or kids really were not affected in retrospect. What, what, do you, uh, what questions do you still have about the way we approached Uh, the pandemic, from when it hit to the actions we took to the mandates on the vaccines?
12: So it's not a simple question, right? Is that no question the first time the public saw the sausage being made in my field, right? Proclamations had to be made based on little data um, because we had to start to make decisions because there were large numbers of hospitalizations and deaths. And I think it's very important to realize that when a hospital is full, you you can be much more stringent in what you do. You have to wear masks, you have to X, Y, and Z with the hope that you can reduce infections than when they're not full. And we didn't take that into account. We are a country that made most of our policy decisions based on a small Middle Eastern country with 6 million people. We had zero data on what was going on in the United States. We got all of our data on the outcomes, on vaccines, on the immune system related to COVID from Israel, which is astonishing if you think of it there we need to build our data infrastructure. Early on, obviously there were major mistakes made with testing and I think that was the beginning of what became us having some of the worst outcome of any country in the world was because we screwed up testing for two and a half to three months because of a CDC missed them. And I think this is a call to arms that we have to restructure what we're doing in the CDC, restructure what public health is and really be prepared going forward. There's going to be some blame games because I think some wrong decisions were made. That being said, we have to take some positive from it and learn so this doesn't happen again. If you look at the probability, there is a 32 percent chance of another pandemic in the next decade. That is not insignificant. And so we have to be prepared so we don't shut down again going forward.
2: I I don't care where you stood. The, uh, The CDC has lost a lot of credibility with the American public. How do they gain it back?
12: I think we have to restructure what they do and where they're doing things. First is developing nationwide data infrastructure program. This idea of states' rights, states can collect their own data, do what they want with it, in today's world doesn't make sense. There needs to be a national level of data so we can know what's happening and a feedback loop so we could do the right things. And no, this policy makes no sense or this policy is actually saving lives and stopping the spread of disease. And so there's going to have to be new leadership. And I really think building that infrastructure, it's not expensive, but it really requires us to make a fundamental change because historically each state is responsible for its own public health. And that has to change
2: because people have privacy. So, for example, you know, if you need information for me from my health in order people like, no, I don't think so. I don't want to share uh, maybe what I experienced or any of my personal data. That's that's. Privacy is at the hub of what you do, right? Uh,
12: Yeah, you're right, Brian. But if I said to you, Brian, listen, give me all of your credit card data, all of your financial data, and I'll consider you giving you a home mortgage, you say, no problem, and you give it to an anonymous person in the bank. If I say, I wanna use your health data in a privacy-protected way, we have the ability now of literally removing every identifier and being totally protected on your personal privacy and use it for health, you say, no way. That attitude has to change, and we need to build the infrastructure to protect privacy yep. and enable the use of data in healthcare, because it will be game-changing going forward.
2: It's explained to me as a nonprofessional that the mRNA is the what you're using that gives you the most encouragement on cancer, and that was used to design the, uh, the vaccine. Is that correct?
12: It's certainly a way that we can improve immune therapy in cancer. And I think going forward, it will be how all vaccines are made. You know, the problem with conventional vaccines is they're very hard to make. Their yield can be small. You can do a hundred thousand bioreactors. If you ever flow into Newark and you see those big beer tanks making Budweiser, that's how we make conventional vaccines. And you could do an entire couple month run and get a hundred vaccines, or 100,000 vaccines, you don't know. mRNA, you program it in, you can get them literally a week later and have it to give to people and they are safe and they work. So it is going to be a new frontier and we can use it to actually prime our immune system to attack cancer. And that's what gives us some more excitement also. So this is going to be very exciting going forward to actually stop suffering from disease. At the same time, we have screwed up science trust in our country and that also needs it. You, in order to mm. get normative behavior change, which we're gonna need in all of this, you need leadership. And Are, so we need right. a new form of leadership in science.
2: Is there anybody showing you that they want to be that leader to lace everything back together and regain trust?
12: Not right now. I think there's a lot of fear of media and other things attacking anybody who becomes a vocal you know, spokesperson in science, but I think we have to push in that regard. Mm. And so we're, we're trying to help as much as we can at the federal level, at the international level, to change that, and I hope it changes.
2: The book of animal secrets is out. Last question: What do you hope? Uh, what do you hope people get from this
12: book? You know, I think I hope it's a it's optimism, right? Is that hope that we're going to be able to implement some changes soon to really prevent disease? And at the same time, you know, when I wanted a blurb for the back of the book, the publisher get, "Get a bunch of them." I texted one person, Jane Goodall, and I said, "Listen." I want you to, to blurb this book because it tells people they have to conserve nature and animals. And at the same time, it gives us clues on human health. And she answered me back two words. She goes, hell yes. And, uh, you know, it was very privileged to have that there. But I really want to bring that hope and optimism that there are secrets out there that we can all use today to live a better and longer life.
2: All right. Go get them. Dr. Uh, David Agus, thanks so much. The Book of Animal Secrets is out. Thanks, doctor. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Uh, when we come back we be able to squeeze in some of your calls and get some final thoughts as we get ready for One Nation Saturday at 9 p.m. right here on Fox News Channel.
1: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: Don't. Welcome immigrants if you plan to reject them. If you keep pushing your bigoted H.R. 2 bill, then also pass this bill. I've taken the liberty of drafting it for you. It removes the Statue of Liberty, our largest symbol that tells people to come here. How tone
2: deaf is that clown, that congressman from Florida, Max Frost? He actually thinks by saying you have to seal the border and get a hold of six million people who came here illegally, you wanted you to take down the Statue of Liberty? You realize where the Statue of Liberty overlooks Ellis Island. That's where we used to sign the guest book to come here. Remember that incredible. By the way, this guy is so lost. He does not understand that even the president knows he's created a a catastrophe and has to do something massive. I'm not sure what Senator Langford and Murphy are working on. Uh, I'm not sure what the holdup is. I think they're reluctant to let it out. I'm not sure. Some people said it's uh, sweeping. Other people say it's not enough. But it's substantial because we have to unlock aid, I believe, to Ukraine. We have to unlock aid to Israel, and we got to give Taiwan the weapons they paid for already. Don't you think? Meanwhile, quick reminder: Teddy and Booker T. Now, thanks to you guys, number twelve overall uh, on the New York Times bestseller list. So great, six weeks now. But I'd like to add one other thing: Sunday at two o'clock local time, three o'clock Eastern time, from Joliet, Illinois. Tickets: some tickets are still available. VIP opportunities. But on Fox Nation that you're watching me, some of you right now, you'll be able to see a stream. So if you want patriotic, motivational, inspirational, and fun, you'll watch in the afternoon. I hope to hear from you on that. Uh, And all my other books are always available to be signed and sent at briankilmeade.com. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. Don't move.